0: Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 26 through 40 in the Common English Bible. What is the outcome of this, brothers and sisters? When you meet together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All these things must be done to build up the church. If some speak in a tongue, then let two or at most three speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. However, if there is no interpreter, then they should keep quiet in the meeting. They should speak privately to themselves and to God. In the case of prophets, let two or three speak and have the rest evaluate what is said. And if some revelation comes to someone else who is sitting with you, the first one should be quiet. You can all prophesy one at a time so that everyone can learn and be encouraged. The spirits of prophets are under the control of the prophets. God isn't a God of disorder, but of peace. Like in all the churches of God's people, the women should be quiet during the meeting they are not allowed to talk. Instead, they need to get under control, just as the law says. If they want to learn something, they should ask their husbands at home. It is disgraceful for a woman to talk during the meeting. Did the word of God originate with you? Has it come only to you? If anyone thinks that they are prophets or spiritual people, then let them recognize that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. If someone doesn't recognize this, they aren't recognized. So then, brothers and sisters, use your ambition to try to get the gift of prophecy, but don't prevent speaking in tongues. Everything should be done with dignity and in proper order. This is the word of the Lord. All right.
1: We'll get into that part, yeah. (laughs) Don't worry. You know, I, I, you know. Right, don't shoot the messenger. I, I so much wanted just to drop that part, but you all chuckled. I thought that was interesting. So anyway, we'll get into that. But today, the first thing we need to do is pull out your phones and your app. If you have got the FFMC app, we're going to try something. This is a this is going to be all dependent on user ability this morning. So pull out your phone, pull out your app. I, first thing I want you to do though, we're going to do a poll this morning. You know that I like to ask you all questions, right? How, you, how many people know that Pastor Matt likes to ask questions of the congregation, right? So this way I'm going to get everybody to answer at the same time. If you don't have the app, just bear with us for a moment. That's great. If you're a guest with us, we're glad you're here. You can still get the app. Um, there's a way to do it. You, it was on the screen earlier. But I, what I want you to do is go, first of all, if you've got your app, make sure that you go to settings, all right? Go to the app in settings and make sure that notifications are turned on. This is very important for this to work. Your notification from the app needs to be turned on. So you have to, first of all, go to settings go to the app in your settings, which would be the FFMC app, and when you get to that app, whenever you find it, if you've got a lot of apps like me, you're like, where is it on this list of all these things? So you go to it, and then you're gonna click on it, and then you're gonna say, it's gonna say allow notifications, and you're gonna say yes, I'm gonna allow notifications. You can turn this off after the service if you want to, so you don't get it, or you can keep it on, and we get to notify you all the time of what's going on. So, uh, but do that. So that's the first thing you need to do. Now, uh, where's Mary? Is Mary here? Oh, yeah, yeah, all right, good. All right, so once you've got that done, I'm going to give you just a second to do that. You're going to, do they need to open the app or just hit, wait for the notification? All right, have you sent the notification? Yeah, are you guys ready? If you're ready, you ready? It's gonna take 10 seconds, oh man, okay. We don't have 10 seconds. All right, go ahead and send it. Right. Send it, all right. Five seconds, all right. So you should be getting a notification at some point on your phone. They don't have the app open, right? Okay, oh, we got it. All right, now click on that notification. All right. All right, who got it? Anybody get it? All right, good, good, it's working. So. Here's a game we're gonna play. Don't answer yet. Let me set it up here. What? Everybody got it. All right. If you didn't get it, don't worry. We're not gonna spend time getting it for you. Um that's later. That call the 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 tech number or whatever. I don't know. Call the help desk. All right, so what I'm asking, my kids growing up, we would play a game. My kids like to play a game. Would you rather? Right? Would you rather and then it was fill in the blank. Like, would you rather, you know, eat you know, toast or eat grass or something like that, whatever. So we've got a would you rather question this morning. It's very simple. Very. So would you rather drive a Hummer or a Prius? Would you rather drive a Hummer or a Prius? And just click on which one you would do and click on it and then click vote, right? All right. Did everybody do it? Are you still trying to decide? Okay. So I have the results already. You guys, see how quick it is when it works. So, 43% of you want to drive a Hummer, and 56% of you would prefer to drive a Prius. So I thought the answer—that's actually—I thought there'd be more Prius drivers here in Seattle. But I, some people like the Hummer. Want to like drive that, right? You know. So they're both equally probably things that we prefer. So notice this. First thing I want you to notice that when it comes to cars or vehicles, we have preferences, don't we? We have a preference on which vehicle we would prefer to drive. Uh, And so we've got these two vehicles. Now let me ask this question, and this is for fun. People who want to drive Priuses, I want to talk to the Prius people. What kind of stereotypes do you have about people who drive Hummers? (laughs) What what, What are some of the things, like, gas like i could think of like gas guzzlers you know they don't care about the environment right right what are, what are some other things they're loud they're they're showy they're showing off right they're running people off the road there's all these things right okay now now hummer people people who want to drive hummers what kind of thoughts or stereotypes do we have about people who drive priuses slow, slow right yeah <laughs> slow uh, economical, frugal, right? Uh, care about the environment, right? Or these things, right? So note- I want you to notice two things. Anybody else wanna say something about the, uh, we give a little more time to the Hummer people, right? You already got your say, John, sorry. <laughs> so, so what thing is, yeah, you don't wanna be behind one, I heard that, okay. Here's the thing, we, notice I want you to notice something. You have pref- we have preferences and we have judgments. We have preferences and we have judgments, right? So now, last question about Hummers and Priuses. Which of these vehicles will get you to church on Sunday morning? Oh, wow, amazing. No matter what our preferences are, no matter what our judgments are, both will get us to church. So there's no reason not to be in church on Sunday morning if you have a car, right? (laughs) So... But I want you to, why why do I ask this question? When it comes to worship, I've I've been in the church long enough to know this about worship, that when it comes to worship, we have preferences and we have judgments. We have preferences and judgments, but either way, no matter what our preferences are and what our judgments are, the question is, are we getting to worship, right? Right? Are we getting to worship? Now, here are some things that I've heard about both what I would call traditional worship and modern worship. We talk about these things. Those are the two main things, you know, the two options that we typically talk about in the church. Here's something. I, here's a judgment I've heard about modern music. Uh, modern music is often referred to as it's too loud. It's too loud, and uh, and we say that a lot, and I hear that said a lot. Well, it's too loud. The drums are too loud. The, the guitar is too loud. The mics are too loud. This is too loud. That's too loud. And actually, if you look at some of the big mega churches that are running these like loud services, they're actually running decibels between 95 and 100 decibels when they're doing their worship services, which is okay for a period of time. It's not prolonged. It's prolonged exposure to loud music. If you ever went to, how many people have ever gone to a concert or like a big concert, right? It's it's loud, right? And so a lot of these churches, a lot of mega churches have gone into modern worship and it's 95 to 100 decibels. Do you know how loud the organ goes when you play it? Depends, Depends, right? (laughs) Organs are played at times up to 115 decibels. So if you really want to talk about too loud, right, that actually sometimes the organ is played louder than modern worship music. And so, again, if this is a judgment, right, it's not really reality. It's not what's really happening. Or let's take this about traditional worship Traditional music can't be understood. I hear that a lot from from modern worship. Well, I don't understand this. I'm like, what's an Ebenezer, right? Why why are we talking about vanguards and sacred throngs and all these things, right? So what's going on here? I would say to you that modern music also uses what I would call insider language. Part of what we're experiencing is what I would call insider language. The church has a lot of insider language that only the people on the inside get. And so when they were singing about, when that hymn was written about Ebenezer's That was insider language at that period of time that we've lost track of. But, you know, we sing about ancient of days. I mean, if I were a guest in a church and they were singing about ancient of days in a modern song, I'd be like, what's the ancient of day? What are you you talking about? See, same insider language is being used. And so both genres, both styles use insider language. All right, another, another judgment I hear about modern music is it's too repetitive. It's too repetitive. I hear this one a lot. Um, it's, or they say it's 7-11 music. We sing the same seven times, 11, 11 words, seven times or whatever they say, right? And I actually hear this all the time. And, and I say to you, have you read Psalm 118 lately? <laughs> or Psalm 136 lately? Have you ever sung Blessed Assurance? Or In the Garden? Have you ever... Uh, thought about any of those hymns that used, because both modern worship and traditional worship uses repetition. Let me ask this question. How many, I know we've got a group that's memorizing scripture in our, in our, some of our scripture memorizers are here. When you are memorizing scripture, what do you do to memorize scripture? You repeat it, right? (laughs) Right. Have you noticed that it's the parts of songs that we repeat the most that are the part of the song you take with you from church? Have you noticed that? Right. Notice that about our singing, whether it's a hymn or a modern song, it's the repeated part that you actually take with you into the week. You know, I'll find myself—I can't remember all of it as well with my soul, but I remember the chorus. I don't remember all of "Blessed Assurance," but I remember the chorus. Right, the repeated parts. Right, because that's how we remember. Here's another one about traditional music. Uh, judgment about traditional music. It—it's—it it's, lacks energy. It's depressing. You know, I feel like I've been at a funeral, right? I've heard people say that about traditional worship. And really, it's about passion, isn't it? Now, I've been in traditional services where it's passion, you know. And one of the things I love, if you were here at our traditional service for for Easter Sunday, who was here for that? There was a lot of passion in this room that Sunday, right? And I love, we were worshiping because there was passion. And it's really about passion. I can sing modern songs with passion, or I can sing traditional songs with passion. It's really about what passion I bring to it, right? Uh, do you know that John Wesley, whose brother Charles Wesley wrote a lot of the hymns in our hymnal? Charles and John were brothers, and John Wesley is the founder of Methodism. Do you know how, what he said? I mean, this is like, you got to think Puritan, pious person, right? What did he say about singing hymns? Do you know what he told people to, how he told people to sing? He said, sing lustily. <laughs> he was telling people to lust in church. When they sing, right? He was saying sing, lo- but what was John Wesley saying? He's saying, when you sing this song, sing it with passion, right? I don't think that the Holy Spirit showed up in the holiness movement, in the tent meetings in Methodism throughout our history because people were singing hymns like this. I think they were, it was the Holy Spirit came upon people in the holiness movement, in the free Methodist movement, in the Methodist church because they were passionately worshiping God. It doesn't matter whether it's modern or traditional. What that has to do is with what passion we bring to our worship. The other thing I hear about modern music, another judgment, this will be the last one, is modern music is too subjective. Subjective. It's all focused on, it's it's all about me, right? It's all about me, Jesus, right? And I thought about that, you know, not all modern music is that. that. That's some of modern music. But if you go back to Bill Gaither music, he touched me. Right? That was part of, that's part of actually falling into what we call traditional music. But if, even if you go further back, uh, what about the old rugged cross? Or abide with me? Or what a friend we have in Jesus? Right? Or in the garden, he walks with me, he talks with me. These are all subjective focus hymns. And actually all music is either subjective, objective, or reflective. It can be any of those, modern or traditional. So what's the point? Matt, what are you talking about? Why are you telling us all this? We know this. It's because it really doesn't matter what our judgments are about traditional or contemporary or modern, whatever. That doesn't matter. What matters is our worship bringing us to God. Is it bringing us to God? Is it bringing us to connect with God? And I would tell you that there are times when it doesn't matter what the music is, it's about bringing people to God. So here's the thing, if I know somebody and singing hymns and organ music is what brings them to God, I want to encourage that for them, because I want them to have a deeper relationship with God. And if that's how they connect with God, I'm going to say amen to that. I'm going to say, go do that. And if someone is is connecting to God through modern worship, if that's the way they connect to God, and that is deepening their relationship with God then I want to say amen to that. Because it's about their relationship with that. I want them to connect with God. And so I don't really think it's about the style as much as what is it that's connecting this person's heart to the God that they're worshiping. And we ought to be saying amen to whatever that is, obviously within the scriptures and within those things. But I think the bottom line is, I need to be encouraging another person's relationship with God not judging another person's worship. Right? What what is one of our core value, one of our core practices here at at First Free Church? Teach one another to follow Jesus. Encourage one another to follow Jesus. So if I look across the aisle and I see somebody who's just, just passionate and loving to him, I should be like, amen. That's awesome. And if I see somebody over here we're doing a modern song, and they're lifting their hands, and they're praising God, I should be saying amen to that. That's awesome, right? We need to get away from the judgments, which I've heard. Can I be honest, folks? There's been some judgment here. it has been judgment on both sides, and it really ought to not be about judgment. It ought to be about people connecting to God and just saying, I love that you're worshiping Whatever the song is, whatever the music is, whether it's drums or organ or whatever it is, it shouldn't, that shouldn't matter. What matters is a person's relationship to God. Now, our, we've been actually getting together. I've been meeting together with a worship planning team. I, I, we mentioned this at a congregational meeting and a couple other meetings. But I've been meeting with our worship planning team. And uh, one of the things we did, we've been talking about our worship. We've just been sharing together our worship experiences here. And I'm actually going to give you an opportunity to share some of yours towards the end of the sermon, but what I want you to think about is our worship planning team's been meeting together. uh, Keith Jefferson, I got to call Keith out this morning. Where's Keith? Is he in the balcony or is he even here? He probably, oh, there he is back in the foyer. Keith did an exhaustive study of worship throughout the Bible and he brought all the verses he could find in the Bible about worship to our worship planning team and we talked about those and we looked at those and so I'm going to give Keith credit for the sermon outline today. It's three points, and it's all from Scripture. It's actually from our discussion and our worship plan team, and Keith did a lot of the, the legwork for this. But we came to three conclusions about worship and what we hope to see in worship. The first thing that we looked at and we saw in the Scriptures together, uh, thanks to Keith and the team, is that when we worship, we're brought together. That there, every time we see worship mentioned in the Bible, a lot of it is about bringing people together in worship. We actually heard that in the Corinthian passage this morning, that we're, the people were being brought together. And when they, got, they came together to worship, you know, notice that Paul's saying, well, somebody has a psalm, and somebody has a teaching, and somebody has a tongue, and somebody has a prophecy. And they were trying to figure out, how do we get all this stuff into the service, Right. And if you've ever done worship planning anywhere, you know this This, is, this happens, right? How do we get this all in? And I think about this even as we come to our worship sir. How do we get the traditional music in? How do we get the modern music in? How do we get this in? How do we get that in? And so all these, we're all coming with our gifts and, and our, our expectations and all these things. And then what was happening was in the Corinthian church is that they were bringing all this stuff, but there was no organization. There was no order to it. And it was becoming disruptive. Now, we kind of chuckled at a part of that passage. You remember which part we chuckled at? We kind of chuckled. And I want to say to you this, let's, let's, and I think we need to put that section about women, you know, go home, talk to your husband's part. We need to put that in context. So the first thing we need to realize is that actually in that passage, three groups of people are told to be silent or to be quiet. If you have a tongue and no interpretation, you, you keep it to yourself. If you have a revelation and someone else has a revelation uh, in that order and it's out of order, then you keep it. You you remain silent. And then women and the women are talked about here. And I think it's about disruption. It's not about. Uh, I don't think that Paul's saying that women should remain silent and not say anything. I think part of it is that this. It was something going on in the Corinthian church that was disrupting the order of worship. And so, uh, and the reason we know it's not about women remaining silent is because. We've got uh, Mary's Magnificat in the Scripture, Mary's praise. Her words are enshrined forever in our Scriptures. In, the, in, the, in Pentecost, if you go look it back at Pentecost, you will see that both, the, not only the disciples were praying in, the, uh, in that upper room, but so were the women. The women and the men were together in prayer and the Holy Spirit came on both men and women. So I don't think that Paul is saying that, that, the, 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 that we're supposed to uh, marginalize women in the church. I think possibly, and this is my speculation, is that we have to remember that in the first century, in the temple and in the synagogue, where how did men and women worship together? If anybody remembers, they were separated, right? And I get this idea that in the Corinthian church, this may have been the first time that men and women worshiping together in the same, in a house church, right? And so there may have been things that were going on in worship that that there were sincere questions about, and there were things, and so there was all this disruption and the questioning going on, and so they were saying, well, there's some stuff, you know, do at home, but then come and worship God, and so there may have been some of that going on in the context here, but obviously, um, this is not about uh, marginalizing women at all. Now, the, pro- the issue is, is that we're, we all come, right, to worship with different expectations, with different assumptions, with different ways of worshiping. We all do. Every, every one of us has a different expectation of worship this morning. Uh, some of you want a longer sermon. I know that, but I'm not going to do that to you. Is, sorry. Um, but you know, we all have that. But notice this. This is how Paul summarizes it in verse 30. He says, God isn't a God of disorder, but of peace. And what Paul is saying is that everything ought to be done in an orderly way. Also, before that, he was also talking about everything ought to be done in an intelligible way. Like everybody in the room should be able to understand what's going on and what's happening. And, the, and so he was actually saying make sure it's understood, make sure it's clear, and make sure it's ordered. So that people, went, because why? Because human beings are being brought together. <laughs> and when you bring a group of human beings together, <laughs> what happens? right? And so be orderly. You know, I think about this too, when we all come together, I think what God looks at, and I think this is me, I think what God is looking for is are we bringing our full selves to worship? Are we bringing our gifts to worship? So I I love it that a few weeks ago we had a young woman playing oboe here with our team. What was she doing? She was bringing her gift of being able to play the oboe to worship. I love that Mary was on the drums today because Mary's great at playing the drums. What was Mary doing? Mary was bringing her gift of a percussionist to the worship. She was sharing her gift with us and we, we can celebrate that, right? Or if someone has the ability to read scripture or somebody has the ability to teach or somebody has the ability, these gifts, when we bring them, are we allowing these gifts to be shared or are we celebrating these gifts that people bring and allowing them to express their gifts? because here's the the bottom line on this. There's not a wrong or right way, for the most part, to worship. It's only about a wrong or right heart when you come to worship. It's about our heart and how we bring ourselves to worship. The other thing that we notice as we study the scriptures around this is that there are words used throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are Hebrew words And there are Greek words used. And if you look at the Hebrew and the Greek, you discover that a lot of these words that we translate into worship have to do with kneeling or kissing the hand or showing respect of someone. And so a lot of what worship is described in, if you look at Psalm 95, look at Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So what do you see? What's the physical attribute or physical act that you see in this part of worship, in this part of the song? What, what do you see? Kneel, right. Actually, if we, kept, if we had read the verses ahead of that, it also talks about shouting in worship. Shout to the Lord right? So in this same psalm, there's shouting and there's kneeling. There's joy and celebration and there's respect and humility. Both are a part of worship. And so we see that in the psalms. And so, but the other characteristic we see as we study the scriptures is that we're also to be brought low. We're to be brought low. So we're brought together, but we're also brought low. We're to kneel before our maker. We're to be brought low before our maker, And so I, and part of the different ways we do that. One is, one one of the ways we experience being brought low is when we see the greatness of God. The more we lift up God and magnify God and see God's greatness, what does it do inside of us? It makes us feel humble, right? It grounds us, it brings us low. You know, we sing, How Great Thou Art, right? Which is about the greatness of God. That's a traditional song. There's also a modern song about, uh, that we sing, uh, Great is Our God, both of them are lifting up the God and magnifying God in a way that brings us low. The other thing we, we bring are brought low when we make mistakes. Have you ever been humbled by a mistake? Have you ever been humbled by something that you did wrong? And so whenever in this idea that I can bring my mistakes and my flaws and my sins before God and receive grace and love and mercy, that brings me Low. That humbles me, and it helps me to worship God. I do want to say something else, though. How do, we, how do you know when we talk about communication, right? And it, you've been to, if you've been to Communication 101 class, you know this. What's the number one way we communicate to somebody else? Is it our words or our body language? our body language. I want you to think about that. Our body language, when we're talking with someone, communicates more than the words that are coming out of our mouth. Notice what is a psalmist saying? What, talking about body language. So what's our body language when we come to worship? And I'm not saying that you have to be like dancing in the aisles and all this stuff, but is our body involved in worship. I think this is part of the reason why people are liking yoga, <laughs> you know, because it's involving the body. It's involving the whole body, and it's being now seen as a spiritual uh, thing, right? Because the body is involved, and we in Christianity and in, a, in a Western religion have, we've taken the body and said, Ooh, wait, you know, don't express, right? And we, and so now these other religions that are coming in that do ex- use body expression are people are leaning into those. I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying that there's God gave us bodies. And do we use our bodies in worship? I love it when families, people come up here and kneel at the altar and spend time in prayer. I think that's what's happening is there's body language going on there. That's why I don't stand behind a pulpit so you can see some body language, whether you like it or not. I know they don't like it up there because trying to follow me with this camera. But part of it is body language, right? Now, I want to be honest with you. I I grew up not very expressive, demonstrative, and my wife can agree with that, by the way. I'm not, affection is not my love language, and if you were to see me in worship several years ago, this is what my worship stance was, right? This is how I worshiped, or if I had a hymnal like this, this this was the extent of my body language. And then I got to go to Latin America on some mission trips. You know what the body language in Latin America is? I say Aldelia and Paul. What's the body language in, in Latin America? Yeah, you know? Or like, you know, there's a little rocking going on, there's this going on. Or I was in India this past fall, and what's the body language in Indian worship? They got me dancing in the aisles, right? So they took a guy like this, to dancing the aisles, which I'm not going to do again, by the way, I'm just saying that. But, <laughs> but I, what I have learned, is this: that if I involve my body in worship, I tend to worship more. I tend to be more engaged in worship when I involve my body in worship. And I'm not saying you have to go, you know, go charismatic or anything like that. But sometimes you'll see me just hold my hands out because that helps me worship. Uh, a non-demonstrative non-affectionate guy right but it helps me worship because our bodies need to be involved that's what it's talking about body language and to be brought low and what does it require me to do when I do that when I hold out my hands or when I kneel what's happening inside of me I have to let go of self self-consciousness who am I no longer conscious of when I do that myself who am I now conscious of? God. I'm doing it for God. I'm not doing it because I'm worried about what other people think anymore. See the difference? And so if I'm worshiping God, my body will follow. And then the other thing that we've learned about worship in our group is this. We are brought ultimately to God. That, that's the bottom line. <laughs> and, and not just to God, but to God alone. Uh, Jesus said this to, to when he was being tempted by the devil in Luke chapter 4, and he was being tempted to worship himself rather than God. He said this, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That is consistent throughout Scripture. Don't worship all these other gods around you. Don't worship idols and mythological figures. Worship the God who created you, the God of the universe, the God who sent Jesus, the God who sent Holy Spirit? Worship that God, the God above all other gods only. <laughs> There's an exclusivity to worship. And so, you know, when we come to worship, we're not here to worship the pastor or the preacher or the worship leader or the music or the instruments or the coffee afterwards or the food that goes with the coffee or whether or not they'd said something the way, that's not worship. Worship is being brought to God. Worship is bringing ourselves to God and God alone. We tune everything else out, and God is in our view and in our focus when we worship. So we want to know the answer to a question. Our worship planning team wants to know the answer to a question. So is our worship planning team here? Keith, come back out here. Come in here. Who's on our, anybody from our worship planning team here? Would you just stand up, please? Anita, I see Anita in the back. Uh, Ed, myself. Yeah, Mel's over here. Anita, Keith. Yes, Kendra. Oh, Josh. Yeah, thank you, Josh, for following me on the camera. So I want you to see these folks because if you have any questions about worship or anything about worship, that you, I just want you go to talk to You can go talk to them, right? <laughs> but there, I, can we give them a hand just thank them for helping with this? So... And Loretta, Loretta, I, I see you, Loretta. Loretta is also on the team back there. So the reason I'm pointing out the team is because we want to know from you the answer to this question. What are the ways our current worship format is bringing you to God? So what we're currently doing, we offer this service every week, 930. We want to hear from you basically is what we're doing in worship, is it helping you to connect with God, bringing you to God? And so guess what we get to have? My favorite thing of all pastors, a survey. We want you to go online. You can go online. There's also paper copies in the back on your way out. Uh, so there's a worship survey at our website, www.ffmc.org worship. And you can do it online or you can grab a hard copy. If you're not an online person, we've made hard copies available, available for you out there. In fact, Keith will hand you one. I see Keith out there. Keith will make sure you get one if you want to do that. And we want to just hear from you, your experience. We want to know, are you worshiping God here? Because if we're not worshiping, (laughs) if we're not bringing people to God, we need to know that. That's important. And so we want to hear from you and the team wants to hear from you and then we're going to talk about that as we head through the summer and into the fall. But there's one more thing I want to say. As we talk about worship, I've been really talking to the church really about this, right? And there's one more thing I feel like needs to be said, and that is I was actually asked to preach at a church one time. And once upon a time, that's how you start out a story. And I went to the church. They said, well, "Could you come early so we could give you a tour of the church?" I said, "Okay, sure." So I show up early to preach at this particular church, and. They're taking, they took me through the sanctuary and then out this back door and there was this, they had this nice green lawn in the back of their church and the lawn of the church backed up to a road and on that road they were building a new suburban neighborhood. Five, they were building 500 homes behind this church. New people that were going to be living there, buying these homes, and they were going to be commuting to work from there. It was a commu, what I would call commuter culture there. And so they were moving in. And the guy that was giving me one of the leaders of the church who was showing me the back yard of the church said to me he says as he stood there and we're looking at these new homes going up 500 new homes being built behind the church he says yeah we've decided we're going to put a privacy fence along the back of our lot so those people won't come over here You know I just couldn't keep biting my tongue so I said, well, you know, I was like very, I try to be encouraging, you know, when I am pastoral in my response. And I said, well, you know what you could do is you could put a gate in that privacy fence and put a welcome sign on the gate so that if they do want to come over, they could be welcomed, right? And he's like, oh, well, that might be a good idea. And then took me into the fellowship hall. And as we went into the fellowship hall, it was where they had their church dinners and church potlucks and everything. And then he, he took me over to the wall where there was a framed, I'm not kidding you, a framed picture of their cemetery on the wall. I, I, folks, I can't make this stuff up, really. <laughs> and on the wall was a picture of their, cemetery, their whole cemetery And he took me over to the picture, and he was showing me how the restoration work they had done on their cemetery, and how they had taken care of the tombstones, and how they had planted flowers, and all all these wonderful things in their cemetery. And that's really when I bit my tongue. Because what I walked out of there that morning, and I can tell you that I was a little fired up in the sermon, but my thought was that you care more about the dead than the living. You care more about preserving this cemetery than reaching the people, the new people that are coming to you, that God has put in your mission field. (laughs) Folks, worship is not just for us. What we do in worship here is not just for us. It's for not only us, but it's also for the people who are in our mission field. Who are moving into the homes in our neighborhoods in Queen Anne and Ballard and Fremont and Magnolia and South Lake Union and beyond. What would it look like for them to worship with us? And would we have to change anything about our worship to help bring them to God? And what would they experience when they come to worship with us? See, worship isn't just for us. Worship is also a part of our witness to our community. And are we concerned about the living, breathing, unchurched, de church irreligious community around us? And what would it look like for them to worship God with us? Or do we just want to form a holy huddle and frame up on the wall the past, and call it good. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to tear down the fences, and to put out some welcome signs, and I want us to be a place that invites people, that an irreligious person, an unchurched person, a de person would be glad to come here to worship with us. That's the church I want to serve. Let's pray together.